When it comes to our role and responsibility as Christians towards our government, what is our response? What does God's Word have to say about it all? We'll take a look next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We welcome you to the program and would invite you to join us here in Titus chapter 3 in the first few verses as we take a look at what God has to say about our responsibility to governing authorities. Especially in light of today's culture, it's imperative that we understand God's directive. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's program. You can turn over in your Bibles to uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Working our way through this little book and almost to the conclusion here. Titus chapter 3. Today we'll be looking at the first uh, eight, eight verses. I don't know about you, but lately in the news, uh, watching the news and seeing what's happening to our country uh, moment by moment, day by day, uh, you can really get caught up, as I sometimes do, in the uh, political nature of things. And you uh, sit there and you watch the news and yell at it and throw things at it. And maybe even wish ill will on people who are <laughs> being talked about in the news at times. Um, and the, the one thing that this last week has really done for me as I've looked through this uh, section of Scripture in Titus chapter 2 is just a, a kind of a gracious reminder of God that, you know what, no matter what happens to our country, <laughs> no matter what happens to our government, no matter what happens to our health care or our finances, um, no matter what happens as far as... Um, our liberal state passing certain um, laws into effect that it just seemed totally uh, irrational and ridiculous, even harmful to our children. In spite of all that, uh, the one thing that, that we can count on, the one thing that we can be assured of is that God's grace is there for us, and it will get us through even the darkest of times. You know, sometimes growing up in America, we have kind of a myopic view of Christianity. We think that Christianity is American. <laughs> Somehow we've put our flag uh, across the name of Christ, thinking that um, to be American is to be Christian and that we are a Christian nation, and we're founded on Christian principles, and so forth and so on. And, you know, we've enjoyed several hundred years of those benefits, don't get me wrong, but it's sad to see and have to say today that our nation is no longer a Christian nation. They're a pagan nation. And you see the enemy undoing quickly any work that has been accomplished for the cause of Christ in our country. And um, even with that being said, it's still probably one of the, the best countries 
the most blessed countries in the world, bar none, people are flocking to its shores trying to get in and not having a great deal of effort either. But sometimes we buy into the idea that somehow to be a Christian is to be American. And when we see certain principles attacked by our government that have stood for centuries, um, good principles, principles that really find their uh, roots in the scriptures, we have a tendency to uh, sometimes overreact to that and to think that, boy, what, what is happening here? That somehow God is losing control of the situation. And when Christian people have been confronted with this in the past, a lot of times what they've done is they've turned to change, uh, to try to change the culture. They've looked at the culture and said, well, it's the culture's fault that all these things are happening. It's a pagan culture, so let's just become politically active. So back in the late 70s, 80s, you had organizations like uh, Jerry Falwell's The Moral Majority. You had uh, Mrs. LaHaye, who had a, a woman's organization, Concerned Women for America. And although these efforts were honorable, I really think that they sought to change something that really we don't have any business changing <laughs> We live in a lost and dying world. Why would we think that they're going to embrace Christ or they're going to embrace Christian principles or they're going to uh, all of a sudden uh, desire to see godliness thrive? That's not going to happen. And so today I want to look at some gracious reminders because we can become very embittered toward people who are not part of Christ. We can become very angry at individuals who are seeking to change our culture in a way that the Bible doesn't say is wise nor profitable. And if you've tasted of God's grace at all, we've been looking at God's grace a little bit recently. If you've tasted of God's grace at the cross, and that's the only place you can taste it, you're a changed person. Something happens, you're transformed. Uh, there's simply no way that you can receive God's gift of eternal life, have your sins forgiven forever by Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ, and just go on living like you lived before. It just can't happen. I'm not saying there's not people that say, oh, I'm a Christian and their life hasn't changed. I would question their Christianity. I would question their commitment to Christ. I would question whether they're even saved at all if there's been no change. Everyone who's come into contact with Christ who was transformed by the presence of Christ in the scriptures, was changed, fundamentally changed. By his sovereign grace and his grace alone, God raised you, he raised me from being, what the Bible says, dead in our trespasses and sins. He gave us a new heart because our old heart is desperately wicked. He gave us a new understanding of the truth. And he brought us into a personal relationship with him, the living and true creator God. God's grace never leaves you the same person. It always changes you. 
God's grace always leaves you a different person than you were before. But at the same time, even though we've been changed and and we've been redeemed and our sins are forgiven and we live this new life in Christ that he's called us to live, at the same time, we have to recognize that there are powerful, tremendously powerful forces at work to cause us to revert back to our old ways, to even deny that any change has taken place. The world itself bombards us daily with false messages of promises of satisfaction with pleasures that are apart from God's will and God's desire. The flesh itself tempts us from within. It it prompts us that we need to fulfill ourselves. And we just fulfill ourselves if we just yield to our fleshly desires. And then we have the devil and all his minions creating these craftly laid traps that entice us daily into disobedience to God. See, all these forces, all these powerful forces tend to make us and allow us to forget what God has done in our hearts by his grace. And so we need to be reminded. And so today I want to look at some gracious reminders that Paul here points out to Titus. Because Titus was in a situation similar to ours, if you think about it, culturally. It's in the island of Crete there. These, these, these islands were mostly pagan. He was surrounded by pagan culture. And I'm sure that maybe he grew a little, grew a little weary of all the influence, negative influence, the, the pagan influence on his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to be reminded again and again and again how God's grace has transformed us, how God's grace has laid hold of our lives because we have a tendency to forget. We're having a, a teacher training class after, after uh, church today for the Sunday school teachers. And the one point that I point out to the teachers, or I will point out to the teachers, is that, you know what, Sunday school children have an innate ability to have amnesia. They don't remember stuff. So just because the first day of Sunday school at the beginning of the year, you say, okay, you can't talk unless you're called on. And, you know, we think, okay, we just share this with them once and that's it. Well, that's not the way it is. They got to be reminded over and over and over, just like us. And so follow along as I read our text for us out of Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, To Titus here, he reminds him. He says, remind them to be submissive. Who's them? The Christians. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out 
on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These, are, these things are excellent and profitable for all people. Paul here speaks to Titus almost as a kind, loving father. Remember, Titus was here with these believers in Crete. And they needed some reminders on how God has laid hold of their lives. How God has changed their lives. His real concern was kind of focusing on these believers who were part of this church and their witness to the the pagan society in which they lived. That was his concern. And it's very relevant for us what he shares as well. Because we live in a culture that exalts sin. It despises God. Right is wrong and wrong is right. There's an increasingly militant mood against those who hold to godly moral standards. You can ask yourself, well, how do, we, how do you respond to this? What's the right response? Should we become politically active and go out and petition things and stand in front of businesses with signs and do all that stuff? Is that, how, is that what God calls us to? Should we organize political parties, try to gain power over the opposition? Should we stage protests? See, there's a legitimate place, I think, in a democratic government to seek to pass laws that uphold biblical standards. We should be doing that. Biblical standards of morality. But when you stop and think about it, that's like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. That's not going to fix the problem. See, what our sin-stained, perverted, sinful society needs is the gospel. They need to hear about God's grace. That's the only thing that can change the human heart. So how do we gain a hearing for the gospel of Christ among people who just boldly mock God and even mock the church, his people? Well, Paul's answer to Titus and to his fellow Christians there who are living in a a society much like ours is that, you know what, you have to live godly lives in this evil world. You have to be able to live a life for Christ that people notice is changed. It's different. There's something different about you. The changed lives of believers will provide a platform for the opportunity to have a verbal witness which will allow us to point sinners to God's grace. But to do that, we have to be reminded of how God's grace has changed us. And so he runs down through verse 8 here. Much of it is in in, in verses 4 to 7, but all the way down to verse 8. And the first thing he points out is that God's grace causes us to remember how you now are to act toward this ungodly world. Because we've been transformed by God's grace, he kind of points out here seven marks of godly character. Seven marks how we should act toward an unbelieving world. Sometimes we forget this. (laughs) We need to be reminded of this. And he's sharing specifically here with the Cretan church. And they'd already obviously been taught these things somewhere along the lines because he's saying that he's reminding them. But Paul, as a general father, 
He felt the need that, you know what? This is important that you remember these things. Barclay writes this, The Cretans were notoriously turbulent and quarrelsome and impatient of all authority. Polybius, the Greek historian, said of them that they were constantly involved in insurrections, murders, and wars. That's the kind of society that this new church here in Crete, led by Titus, was living in. And that's the kind of makeup of the people of the church. They were just used to kind of rolling up their sleeves and going at it. And so Paul lays out seven marks here of godly character in relation to that kind of godless society. Look at the first one. Christians must be subject to government rulers and authorities. He says that there in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, we read that and we say, well, you don't understand what our government's doing. You don't understand. Well, yeah, we do. And they did at the time. They were not ruled by a Christian government. And this is consistent, by the way, with even what the apostles teach. Look over at Romans 13. We'll be touching on this when we go through the book of Romans, but just to read it for you, so you know I'm not making this up, Romans 13. Look at what Paul writes in the first uh, seven verses here of Romans 13. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Remember, he's writing this letter to the church of Rome. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's, look at that, servant for your good. See, we forget the role of government is to protect the righteous and punish evildoers. That's the role of government. That's why we have law. That's why we have rules. And it says here that they're God's servant. For if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and avenges an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also (laughs) pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. I should be preaching this around April 15th. Attending (laughs) to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Even over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, we see the same same instructions. This is an isolated case. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those, look once again, who do evil and to praise those who do good. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You might say, well, we don't have an emperor. I would say, well, I don't know if he understands that. Okay, we have a president. But we're called to be subject to government rulers and authorities. See, think of where Paul lived. He lived under the, the, the tyranny of the, the, the Roman ruler Nero. And he didn't make any exceptions. He didn't say, you know, now, except if you live under a government like I'm living under. I mean, Nero's the exception. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, well, if, you're, if your government's pure godless, then, you know, then we make it. No, he didn't say that. There's a lot of bribery. There's a lot of corruption in governments. There was back then. There is today. But it's, it's very, very important that the government of that time was in no means even close to being Christian. And Paul didn't say, hey, these rules apply to you if you have a Christian-based government. No, he said government's there to punish the evildoers and to reward those who do good. That's the role of government. The only time believers are required to disobey, and that brings us to the, 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 really the second point here, Christians must be obedient, is that when the government commands us to do something that would require us to disobey God, at that point, like in Acts 5.29, we have to say, you know what, we must obey God rather than men. But we should be willing to suffer the punishment of our disobedience. I mean, when you stop and you look at how our country began, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love our country. I think it's one of the the finest in the world. But I don't think biblically you can find and back up (laughs) the way that our founding fathers participated in a revolution to overthrow a duly constituted government. Even over in, in Germany during, you know, the, all the, the chaos that was going on there, and you read it, Bonhoeffer's and his attempts at what he tried to do. Once again, I think that, for example, today, I mean, I think a, a, a modern-day illustration of something that went on like in Germany is, is abortion, the issue of abortion. Millions of, of unborn babies are literally slaughtered. And when you stop and you you think of that, do you think the God of the universe is just going to sit back and say, I'm just going to continue to bless your country? No, he's not. I mean, beloved, to be honest, our country is, is bearing the disciplinary hand of God. It's seeing the wrath of God being kind of poured out across our nation through violence, through the escalation of evil in, in oh so many ways. And I think in a lot of ways, God has said, hey, I'll, I'll bless you if you're going to do what's right, if you're going to base it on principles that are founded in my word. But when you go off the, the beaten path and you begin to do your own thing and you begin to, to murder innocent, unborn children by the millions, don't you think uh, God is going to take an issue with that? And we've seen economically, we've seen uh, socially, so many different ways our country is is really taking it on the chin and i think it's it's a direct result of the disciplinary hand of god well thank you for spending time with us here today on graceful truth the ministry of grace bible church here in redwood city 
It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.